wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. When the ocean unleashes its storms and sorrow, it stops one's ears from the wails of men and masks the tears of those lesser things. Claire did not fully comprehend this at the time. The thought had never even crossed her mind. But she would. It was summer. What year it was is not important. Only that it was that early part of summer, when the spring rains still linger, and when travels by the coast and water are still marked by sharp and sudden chills. And it was a morning marked by one such chill that Claire and her partner Jen were picking their way along the rocky shores of the east coast. It had been a year since the two of them had moved to New Brunswick from out west. Jen was from Moncton and had always wanted to return at some point, and Claire had found a way to make the move work with her career. It was also the first time since then that they were able to take the time to truly enjoy the natural beauty of the Maritimes. Their plan for the week was simple. Hike from Moncton to St. John, making their way along the Bay of Fundy, and then take the bus home. Simple and innocent. They hadn't expected to see much of anything but pristine Acadian forest, rocky hills, and clear water. They certainly hadn't expected, on this, the fourth day of their journey, to stumble upon a small town that didn't seem to be on any of the maps. Not the ones online, at least. When Jen pulled out the old yellow paper map she'd borrowed from her parents, there was, in fact, a small dot right where they were, the name of this town long since smudged and washed away. Though, town may be generous. It might have been archaic-sounding, but it wouldn't have been entirely inappropriate to call this dour set of structures a hamlet. That's how small and quiet it seemed to be, the age it seemed to be forever frozen in. The town was grey, as was the sky that morning, though that hardly seemed as though it would make a difference if otherwise. Altogether grey, but tinted blue from below by the water that lapped at the piers the town sat on tinted green and sickly tan in the middle by moss and algal growth and old rotten wood, tinted tin and red-brown at its crest by antique chimneys and long-faded terracotta-colored roof tiles. Creepy, said Claire, though standing there already soaked from the morning drizzle, she knew deep down that anywhere with a roof looked like heaven now. What do you think? I don't know, said Jen. I thought we were supposed to be roughing it out. Is visiting a town allowed? We're supposed to be taking in the province, 
responded Claire, already having made up her mind. And as far as I'm aware, we're still in the province. Jen didn't look so sure. This trip had been her idea after all, though Claire was trying her best to stay chipper about it. But after three full days... Claire enjoyed a hike through the woods as much as anyone, but hour after hour of slogging through the rain and the mud was taking its toll. Not to mention that, even after a year, Claire still didn't feel especially at ease in the East, like she wasn't home, and that even the impassive wilderness regarded her as a stranger. Not that she felt any more comfortable in an urban setting, though at least that would be dry. Look, we'll see some sights, get some lunch, maybe then the rain will let up too, huh? she said. Now, there wasn't exactly a place to get lunch in this somber settlement by the shore. In fact, there didn't seem to be much at all to help distinguish one building from any other. So, failing to spot any sort of restaurant or hotel, Claire decided she'd simply find the largest structure in town and start there. And find such a place she did. The front door swung wide, and the sunlight, even dimmed by overcast and filtered gray, seemed to brighten the room beyond. It lit up a dusty, moth-eaten rug that covered rough-cut planks, shelves filled with half-disintegrated books, an ancient and messy writing desk, and other things, surely. But most importantly, it lit up a positively odd-looking man sitting behind the aforementioned desk. He peered up, squinting. It seemed like he'd been scrawling something into a thick tome sitting before him. Given the aesthetic of the rest of the room, you might have expected him to be doing so with a quill and ink. Instead, he had just a well-chewed bick held awkwardly in his hand. Low? he said quizzically, staring past wireframe spectacles with dark, milky eyes. He was a shiny man, first of all. He shone from something, be it oil or sweat, that covered his pale, pale skin. And there was enough skin to see it, as he had just a sprinkling of receding stubble atop his head. Even his eyebrows were threadbare, and maybe it was just the way he was sitting, hunched over, but he didn't seem to have much of a neck, so much as a head that simply emerged from his body. Sorry, do you know where we could get lunch? Claire asked, having now noticed all these peculiar details and being taken aback for only the briefest of moments. Lunch, the man asked back, seeming genuinely confused by the query. Somewhere we can eat something? Claire said, trying to go broad. Oh, he said, nodding. Well, most times when folks around here want to eat something, probably because they got hungry, they just make themselves something. Well, we're just passing through, though. Is there someone who can make something for us? Oh, make something for you? Uh, well, I, uh, I uh, suppose I could do that, since you're just passing through. That, that makes sense. But, what, you don't... Claire tried to stammer out, but the man was already getting up. With a curious squelch, he was out of his chair and moving towards the door to some unseen back room. Now that he was standing, Claire could also see the loose, ill-fitting shirt and trousers the man wore, along with the fact that he must have been at least six and a half feet tall, even as his head nearly drooped down to his sloped shoulders. Claire and Jen stood there awkwardly for about four minutes as they waited for him to return. 
From the back room, they could hear faint rustling, rummaging, some crinkles, and the pop of a toaster. And sure enough, after that time, the man trudged back into the room, a small foil-wrapped package in each hand. There you go. Ta-da-da-do-ya, he said as he passed them their lunch. Looking down, Claire could see they'd been handed two identical pieces of toast, each with a healthy smear of yellow mustard and two sardines apiece. Our slice of the base finest, he added, smiling softly, gently rocking his head up and down. Thanks, Claire said, trying to sound gracious. Jen thanked him as well, and actually seemed to mean it. Oh no, oh no, plenty to share. You know what they say. The sea provides. You mean the ocean? Claire asked, more condescendingly than she meant it to be. Hmm? Responded the man. He didn't seem to understand, but moved past it. Of course it don't provide everything that it once did. Don't see much salmon, cod, lobsters we used to around these parts. But for what we need to eat, what we need to survive, well, you know what they say. The sea provides. They thanked him again, and then turned to leave to find a spot to eat. But before they were out the door, the man called out one last time. Oh, oh, almost forgot. While you're in town, why don't you stop by and see the egg? The egg? Jen asked. Yeah, just down at the end of town, just, just at the end of town on the pier. Our town lives on tourism, you know. I thought the sea provides, said Claire. The man lit up and pointed both index fingers at Claire, thrilled that she finally seemed to get it. Yeah, it sure does. Well, we'd love to see it, Jen said, almost prompting a double take from Claire. What is the egg? Oh, no, I can't tell you that. You'll need to ask the keeper. I'm just the mayor, he explained. It's just at the end of town. A short while later, after having feasted on the sea's bounty, Claire and Jen strolled through the rest of the town, trying to get their bearings. So, said Jen, we're going to go see this egg, right? Claire stopped and looked at her incredulously. Are you joking? We're going to get the hell out of here. Oh, said Jen. I mean, that guy seemed pretty nice, and it seems like they could really use the tourism... He gave us lunch, so it seems kind of polite. Claire stared at her for another moment, exhaling heavily from her nose. She was sort of right, even though she felt Jen just had a higher tolerance for this weird towny bullshit, and, you know, it was another hour in this town versus a likely passive-aggressive argument later. Fine. At the end of town, atop the last stretch of pier at the end of town, there sat a house. More of a shack, really. And again, not really distinct in any way from any of the other shacks in town. And yet, it loomed out there over the water, with the shadow it cast upon the flimsy boards leading to its front door. Outside sat another man, lolling away in his rocking chair. He was younger than the mare, clearly, still blessed with a somewhat full head of dark stubble, though he shared many of the older man's distinct features and the resemblance was still somewhat uncanny. Perhaps a relative, even a son. One difference, though, was that this adolescent clearly took worse care of his skin. It looked filthy and greasy, almost green. 
Sitting on a small barrel beside him was a tiny plastic bucket. Come to see the egg now, he said as Claire and Jen approached. Yeah, is this the right place? Jen asked, more for formality's sake. Oh yeah, you got it right, the young man responded. But if you wouldn't mind making a little donation before you head in. Of course, said Jen as she scrambled for her wallet. Now, it wasn't entirely clear what the suggested donation was, which is probably why Jen decided it would be safe to take out a $20 bill. When she offered it to the young man, he leaned back in his seat. His brow raised a quarter of an inch, and he waved the money away. No, no, it's too much. Oh, Jen said, uh, five each, then? The young man shook his head. Jen looked at Claire. Do you have any change? Claire dug into her pockets, and while she didn't have much on hand, she did manage to muster an impressive thirty-five cents. She held out the coins, a quarter and a dime, and after three seconds of the young man not reacting at all, she decided that was a yes and dropped them in the bucket. Perfect. Thank you. You go on in. Claire gave Jen another look as they passed through the door, and all Jen could manage in response was a somewhat defensive shrug. It was hot inside. That was the first thing they or anyone would notice. Looking down, Claire noticed a small gas-powered radiator sitting in the corner. Aside from that, the front room was bare, save for a few windows that were boarded up, a dirty light bulb hanging from the ceiling, and a door frame opposite the front entrance. This frame didn't have a door of its own, but simply a makeshift curtain that blocked the view into the next room. And after a moment, this curtain began to move. A pale, clammy hand emerged from behind, pushing it to the side. The hand belonged to a third man, standing just in the next room. And now, Claire was beginning to feel truly unsettled. Because if the adolescent outside had borne a striking resemblance to that first man who had called himself the mayor, then this third one was practically his twin. The only differences were a slight change in wardrobe and the lack of those wire-frame glasses. No, his eyes were healthy and clear, with no cloudiness to hide the strange red-black color at the center of them. Just this way he said. For what other reason would they have been here? Apologize about the heat, but it's for the egg. Gotta be wary of those early summer chills. He beckoned, and after a moment's hesitation, they stepped forward. Too late to turn back now, they had their money. They stepped past the frame, past the man, and into the next room. A very similar room to the first. Two more radiators, blasting heat from the corners, a boarded-up window, a dirty light bulb shining dirty light, with the notable addition, sitting there on an upturned barrel serving as a makeshift podium, of an enormous, round, egg. Now, that's not to say that the egg was titanic, simply enormous, about the size of one of those aerobic exercise balls. Probably a bit smaller in reality, but that was the closest approximation in Claire's mind. It sat there, under the light, huge, murky, and amber. It seemed firm, but still sagged a bit where it sat. Whatever was inside, if there was anything inside at all, wasn't clear. The golden casing and yellow-red liquid inside were too opaque to see through. Wow, Jen managed. Mm-hmm, said the man, 
Claire had almost forgotten he was there, as her attention had been drawn entirely into that shining sphere. He was standing there, a few feet back, his arms crossed. He was nodding his head slowly and had a satisfied smile on his face. That's the egg. What animal did it come from? Claire asked. At first, the prospect of seeing this thing had been annoying. Then, she'd become worried. And now, she wasn't even sure what she felt. The man turned to Claire. He kept slowly nodding, but that smile faded, and his eyes rolled up in contemplation, as if he was thinking how best to answer that question. Hmm. Well, can't say what animal per se. Just that it come from the sea. Like, uh, like all those before it. For the first time since entering the room, Claire broke her gaze upon the egg and whipped her head to the man. Wait, you're saying there are more of these? Course. What's the sense of an egg that stays an egg? He answered in such a way as though he were describing how water was wet. Oh, can't speak much to that either. Just know the egg while it's here. What's inside, where it goes, that's its business. Septivish will come back. The feeling bubbling within Claire's mind, curiosity, dread, it was now boiling. Her mouth opened, but after a second she withdrew her tongue. It wasn't clear whether this man was actively trying to hide something or be as obtuse as he was being, but what did seem clear was that more questions about what this egg was would only lead to more circumlocution. Jen seemed much more accepting of this man's non-answer and turned back to the egg, now nodding in the same way. So, the egg's pretty important for tourism? Mmm, yes. Oh, how many people does it bring in every year? As many as it needs to. Oh, yeah, I see. And is it just tourism during the summer? Is there any other business in town? The man lifted his chin high at this question, arms still crossed as though he were now truly reaching into the back of his mind. No, not for some time. Not sure how long myself. Used to be a fish in town, this. Salmon, cod, lobster, herring. Then, one day... The fish, they stopped coming like they did. Maybe something to do with the big boats further up and further down the bay that come after the war. Maybe something else. But when the fish left, so did many of the people. Except for a few. Those that knew that even though our big fishing days were done, the sea would still provide enough to eat, enough to survive, enough to make sure that there was always people here. Jen nodded, looking back at the egg. Claire did the same, in the back of her mind trying to piece together what it all meant, and just feeling... not right about it all. Outside, the rain was picking up. It was heavy enough now that they could hear it inside the shack, even with the windows boarded up. Hmm? Seems there's a storm coming, said the man. He stooped down to one of the radiators and gave the setting dial a quarter turn. You folks will be staying in town? Claire and Jen looked at each other, then looked up as the sound of the rain pounding on the rooftop echoed all around them. A few hours later, the two were rolling out their sleeping bags. There weren't any beds where they were staying, but at least there was a roof over their heads. 
It was still pouring outside, and there didn't seem to be any end to the rain in sight. This house had been long abandoned, they'd been told. Better that someone use it than have you sleep out in the wet. That's what the man had said. What was it the mayor had called him? The keeper. The keeper of what, though? The egg? Or some kind of secret? Claire didn't like it. But she still didn't really know why. So, that egg, huh? She said, as the two of them laid down. Yeah, pretty neat. Pretty neat? You don't think it's kind of fucked up? The guy acting like he has no idea where it came from when it's clearly from some exotic animal, probably endangered, not to mention what they're going to do with it after that circus act is done. What do you think they're going to do with it? Jen asked. She was back up on her elbows, her brow furrowed. I don't know. Eat it? Or worse, sell it on some kind of black market? This was typically the kind of moment that Claire would mention she was the vice president of the environmental club in university though she felt like it wouldn't help to bring it up on this occasion. Hey, hey, come on. What's gotten into you today? What's gotten into me? We spend all day in this freak town, and you're just waltzing around and yucking it up with the locals, and any time I bring up how some weird shit is weird, you look at me like I'm a freak. It's just like back home. It's just like this whole year has been. Jen tensed up for a moment, sitting all the way up. She looked angry. After a few seconds, she relaxed. She didn't shout back or get up and leave. She just sighed. Okay. One, coming here was your idea, and I won't get into how you wanted to come here and then hated it, the same way you agreed to go on this trip and then hated that. I'm happy to be here with you, in this town, and here, But you didn't have to come on this trip, and you didn't have to move. And you act like someone made you, which isn't true. And two, I'm being polite. And the people here are being very polite, even if they are a bit strange. So maybe stop looking down your nose for a change, huh? And with that, she rolled over, her back facing Claire. Claire burned two holes into her back with her eyes. She wasn't done. She half-stammered something out, but Jen wasn't going to listen. Not about this, not about any problem she was having with the people at work, not anything. Because Claire wasn't from here. So, she dragged her sleeping bag to the opposite end of the room and rolled over too. The rain only seemed to come down harder as the night carried on. Lightning flashed through greasy window panes and thunder shook the entire structure. And Claire just lay there all night long, seething. Why did she feel like this? What was it about this place, not just this town, but this whole place? Why was she an outsider? She just didn't get the culture. Everyone had strange habits and spoke in a strange way. Why couldn't they just be normal, like back home, goddammit? And that egg! Well, that certainly wasn't normal. She realized now that she didn't really care why they were doing it, or for how long they'd been doing it. She only cared about how wrong it was. That someone should stop them, restore some kind of natural order, some normalcy. It was about 5 a.m. when she got up, not long until sunrise. She quietly put on her boots and jacket and slipped out the door. 
The storm still hadn't let up, even after a full night. Lucky for her, though, the town was small enough that she could still find her way in the dark and the rain, find her way back to that last little shack on that last little stretch of pier. The boy wasn't sitting out front, but the bucket was, filled with water, the dark outline of a quarter and a dime at the bottom. Claire emptied it and snatched back the coins defiantly. She tried the front door. Unlocked. They couldn't be that trusting, could they? But as she opened the door a sliver and peered, she saw that there really was no one there. Those radiators were still blasting, though, and it was boiling hot inside. And though the light in that front room was not on, Claire could see the light from the next room bleeding out from behind the makeshift curtain. She took a moment to listen for anyone, and took another moment to steal herself. Then, she pulled the fabric aside and entered. Nobody. Just the dirty light bulb, the radiators, and the egg. Still round and gooey, its treasure still hidden from view. Claire stopped before it. She knew she had to move quickly, but she couldn't help but take it in one more time. Even she had to admit there was something entrancing about the egg, in a fucked-up kind of way, something that made her want to just accept the mystery as just that, something that almost made her hesitate in what she was going to do. "'Afraid visiting hours are over,' said a voice from behind her. Claire spun around, nearly having a heart attack as she did. It was the keeper." still dressed in those ill-fitting clothes, still pale and oily-looking, still not normal. Sorry, miss, but you really ought to go. Why? So you can do all your fucked-up rituals or whatever with this thing? This took the man back. He looked concerned, possibly even for his own well-being, not that Claire could see this. Look, miss, he stuttered out before calming himself and continuing. I know our ways might seem strange to some, but they're just our ways. I don't feel safe with you being around the egg like this, so I gotta ask you to go. As he finished this, he reached out with a reassuring hand. Perhaps it was intended for Claire's shoulder, but it certainly never got there. She lashed out. Don't you touch me! She yelled. She swatted him away and with both hands shoved him back hard. The air seemed to go out of him as she pushed into his chest, and for a man of his size, he fell back easily, back, over, and right into one of the radiators. A sickening sizzle filled the room, and clothing and skin burned at the old machine's touch. Where you might have expected someone to scream in pain, the man's eyes just went wide. He almost looked like a fish caught on a hook. Claire looked on in horror at what she'd done, as the man managed to pull himself off the machine and roll onto the floor, a chunk of his flesh catching onto the coils and still cooking. But then her adrenaline kicked in. There was no choice now. She snatched up the egg, God, it was heavy, and ran from the room. The keeper still lay there in agony. Please, don't, he groaned out. But she was gone. It's too cold. She was outside now, and the sun was beginning to rise behind gray clouds. Where to do it? She looked out over the pier where she stood. No good. 
The water was shallow and the rocks below looked too sharp. But the next pier over might work. She ran. Behind her, the keeper finally stumbled out of the house a minute later, weakly calling for help, and Claire wasn't sure if it was the noise she was making as she stomped down the piers or some kind of freak sixth sense the people of this town shared, but as she turned down to get to the jetty where the water was deeper, she saw a familiar figure giving waddling chase. Stop! Please! The mayor yelled into the storm, but she could barely make it out as thunder swallowed his words. But it didn't matter. She was almost there. In just a few seconds, she could drop this egg back into the ocean where it belonged. She smiled. It felt good. It felt right. And as such thoughts entered her mind, she stopped watching where she was going for just a moment. And perhaps it was a patch of slick, or maybe a rotten board giving way. But she tripped. Mere meters away from the end of the jetty, she tripped, and the egg went tumbling out of her hands. When it hit the wood, it did not crack. It didn't burst or break apart. It simply hit the ground with a sick squelch, caving in somewhat where it made contact. And with that, the surface tension that seemed to hold the egg together was gone. It sagged, the amber liquid began to leak from creases and perforations. Claire panicked as she got herself off the dock and saw what she'd done. She ran over to the egg. Maybe there was a chance she could save the thing, get it into the water where it belonged. She ran over to it and got onto her knees to try and roll the now-compromised pile of filmy shell and yellow muck. But as she did, she saw something else. A dark shape within the egg that she hadn't seen before, that must have been hidden within the cloud of amniotic fluid now dripping down through the wood and into the water. It reached out. Claire screamed and bolted to her feet as a small, slender green arm tried to grab her by the wrist. She backed away as the small, dark thing within pulled itself out of the goop, the rain helping as it washed that yellow slime away. It was a fish, and yet it wasn't. An ape, yet not. It had arms and legs and fins and a tail and no neck. Its head just seemed to emerge from its body. The small thing crawled along the jetty, not seeming to know where it was going, shaking terribly. The wind had picked up, and with it brought an early summer chill. Soon it slowed, and Claire got back down to get a closer look at it. She no longer felt threatened. She watched as the thing shivered and heaved. She just looked into its eyes as it grabbed her hand for warmth and died there, looked into those dark, red-black eyes and the tuft of short, dark hair that reached from the top of its head down to its back. And only when it had stopped moving entirely did she look back. The keeper and the mare were both a few meters up the pier. They were on their knees and wailing with sorrow, 
but she could not hear them or see their tears, for the storm had grown too fierce. And from the top of the jetty, she could now see Jen running down to her, see the terror come over her face as she pointed to something behind Claire, out on the water. Claire turned again. Something huge was coming out of the water. It created vacuums in the bay around it and sent water crashing onto the jetty. Claire was almost washed away. And after she regained her footing and rubbed the salt water from her eyes, she looked up. It was a fish. Or maybe an ape. All she could really tell was that it was enormous, for it blocked the sunrise behind it and cast a long shadow over the town. Jen finally made it over to Claire, shook her, and told her they had to go, but Claire could not hear her. She just looked up as that huge thing looked down and saw its child lying there. And after a long moment, the creature reared its head back and began to wail too. It was an ungodly sound, unlike anything that Claire or Jen had ever heard. The storm's thunder was muffled before it. It shook the piers that the town sat on. It seemed as though it shook the continent. And as it wailed, it leaned forward and pressed down hard on the jetty, as one often must lean on something when sadness overtakes them. And as the soaked and rotten wood of the structure began to crack under the immeasurable weight of that thing... Jen pushed a still-dazed Claire away. And as Claire regained her senses, the last thing she saw of Jen was her, half the jetty, and the small dark thing being taken under the roiling water. Claire ran. She ran as fast as she could out of that town and back towards civilization. And as she did... Up and down the grey streets, she could see strange figures emerging from the grey houses. The boy from the day before, and other men. All of whom looked just like the keeper and the mayor. Men who the sea had provided, so the town may always live. And each, as they heard the wail of that mother god, fell to their knees and soundlessly wept. Claire managed to find a road late that day and got a ride back to Moncton. And then she went home. She moved back west, and whenever anyone asked, she told them Jen had decided to stay. I didn't really feel like I belonged, she'd say, as her friends reassured her that it was an unwelcoming place. And Claire would nod and agree, eventually coming to believe it. Her life was normal after that. All the normal she could want, and then some. Save for one minor detail. Which is that, until the end of her days, she found that she was never able to go into the water again. Whether it was a lake, the ocean, or the sea, at the dip of a toe she would feel the chill of death upon her. And she was never sure exactly why, why she never felt welcome. It could have been guilt. Or it could have been that, for very good reason, she wasn't. This week's episode 
The Sea Provides, was written by Anthony Botello and performed by Liz Durr. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to Connor Matterin and Nikki S. for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>